With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, should I start with this is bread for the people? Do you like it like this? Welcome to bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to bread for the people. Mind. <laughs> is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. Have a very special episode today. Please help me welcome Sandy Smith from Sandy's Bread from Palmyra, Pennsylvania. Sandy's Bakery was born out of the desire to provide great nutrition for her four children. She started the bakery with her husband, Tom, and I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more about it. Sandy. Yes. Welcome to Bread for the People. Let's talk bread. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me. I know I kind of hit you out of the cold, and you're like, is this a crazy man who wants to talk to me about bread? Well, it was a surprise. A delightful one, but a surprise. You know, I I spend a lot of time um, researching, baking, and looking at other accounts online and admiring the work, and... um, you know, I like to find interesting people to talk to about bread uh, because it's certainly a passion of mine. And I started a, a home bakery a little over three and a half years ago with my family. Uh, it began with my three children and my wife. And my three kids are all but out of it because they're on to different parts of their life, living in other towns, going to college, this and that. Uh, but my wife and I are still at it, and we just spent a weekend baking and hitting a farmer's market Okay. and i'm curious to hear about your story um let's start with this weekend all right i i I understand your bakery is open fridays and saturdays do i have that right that's right we're actually located in a farmer's market we moved the whole operation into the market and we bake there tuesday through saturday but we're open for retail friday and saturday so it's a little That's, bit different business model. 
it sounds a lot more appealing to me because uh, <laughs> we're kind of setting up a store each place we go and uh, then oh, breaking wow. it down. And in fact, as we speak, my wife is in the emergency room getting a sonogram. Oh. But because uh, we think she might have a hernia or something from all the lifting we did. Oh, my word. Those were the old days for us. Before 2006, we did outdoor markets. And, yep, we we would bake at the house. I would make all the breads. We have a a trademark product called Grabanola. So those are our granola bars. And we would do all of that baking at the house and then schlep everything to the other, you know, to the outdoor markets. Yeah. So it's a lot of work. It's so much work. It, it's it's so hard to to describe to people, especially bread, um, because it's not that it's heavier or more. It kind of is more because you're, you're selling a lot of these small units at price points between five dollars and let's say twelve dollars, and then you're always guesstimating, at least in our case, because we do have one regular market, so we have a good feel of what that's going to be, and we have a routine. But on the other days of the week, we'll pop up. And we're doing our best to to estimate and work to our gross potential. That doesn't change even when you're in an indoor market for years. We are still guessing every single week. Tom and I talk about what we think the production should look like. At this point, he does the bread production. I do the pastry production. Mm. But it's still every single week. And people say, you know, people, customers look at us and say, how do you figure out how to do, you know, how much to bake? And it's a guessing game. Yeah. And it's my least favorite part of it. We missed, we missed yesterday's target big time. Okay. Because, so it's, I would assume we're not that far from each other mileage wise. Right. It's been raining most weekends by you, right? Yes. Right. So same here in Long Island, New York. And we had, once again, our Friday and our Saturday was canceled this weekend. So Sunday we were doing a farm, a pumpkin farm. And we figured, okay, everyone's dying to get outside. It's almost Halloween. This is their chance to go and and do their thing with the family. So we baked a lot. We we baked aggressively. And I would say we... We ended up only selling 25% of our bake. Oh, my. That is it was, devastating. It was one of the biggest misses we've ever had. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I remember and, those days. And we still have those days, not quite to that extent. But <laughs> it's tough. What we've done is we've learned how to repurpose some of our product. Um, we have a big walk. Well, not a big. <laughs> it could be bigger. But we have a walk-in right. freezer. And product that doesn't sell off the shelves one weekend gets turned into other products. So we have crostinis and croutons and we make a, uh, a stuffing mix and we, we do whatever we can. And then, you know, the rest of it goes to the local food pantry. So yeah. we're, we're glad to be able to support them. Sure. We, we delivered to two pantries today. Um, you know, we don't have the consistency of, of a place or a market to do what you're doing with the repurposing. That, that's what sounds... One of the appealing things about what you're doing to me is having 
you know, the walk-in and the consistency to be able to sell those other products. I think that's pretty great. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. I, I don't so even how, remember what we did with extra product back in the day. So. Yeah, yeah. So how did it all start? Let's go back to the beginning. I assume you guys had other jobs. Actually, when it all started, I was a stay-at-home homeschooling mother of four. Okay. And my husband was working out of the house. And I figured, gee, if I can sell a couple loaves of bread, then... You know, it'll go toward the grocery money, right? So that's that's how the first few years of our of our bakery went, and it was an adventure. You know, having all the kids sitting at the dinner table and saying, "Okay, bread's coming out. Pick up all your school books," and <laughs> and putting down the cooling racks so that they could get their stuff out of the way and the bread can get cool. It was it was different. It was. It was fun in a way. It was an adventure. And yeah. then in 2006, uh, Tom and I went full-time together and bought commercial equipment, moved the bakery out into a space in a neighboring town, and started baking. It was the first. That's when we picked up our first wholesale account. And we started the following year, uh, we started at the uh, the market where we currently are, right? But we didn't move the bakery until we had been in that market for a year. So let's jump way back before we get to to these moments. Um, your your kids were in elementary school years. Yes. Yeah, and did they participate in making the bread? Not as much. Um, they participated in staying out of my way. Right. More than they participated in getting their hands in the bread. But at the outdoor farmer's markets, they helped out a lot. Right. So our our second child, our oldest daughter, was a real help. When Tom would take our products down closer to Philadelphia, she would go with him. And she got to where he could take a nap and she could handle the stand. She was about nine years old. Wow. And... She was very competent with that. And then when we first were, uh, were up at the, the farmstead market, our kids would come in and help. So the girls especially, all three of the girls have very good retail skills. And it's, yeah, but they started young having to do now that. There's, there's some life lessons that come along with being a kid and growing up in this environment and hitting the farmer's markets, don't you think? Definitely. All of my kids have decided they don't want to be bakers and they don't want to work out in retail, but they all really respect what we do and they speak proudly to other people about what we do. So, you know, so that's, they really have learned a lot. We used to tease them that they were buying friends with baked goods when they went into public school, <laughs> but they, they learned the value of what we do. It's hard work. It is. Um, I don't think I thought about how hard it was. To me, it was just a new adventure. And I'd like the challenge of trying to uh, figure out how to bake sourdough for my first time. And it took a long time to figure it out. Well, the interesting thing for us is neither of us had any formal training either. 
I grew up baking at my mom's knee doing a totally different method of baking. And when we started... What was the method? Well, it was just your basic white bread, you know, cake yeast and, you know, knead the bread in the KitchenAid and and Mm -hmm. go from there. What I learned was a different method using whole grains right and the absorption rate of your liquids is different the texture is different the proof time is different and certainly the the flavor profile that we get is phenomenal compared to to what i used to do but that was just our basic loaf breads when we moved into the farmstead market we were able to start doing sourdough things and more artisan breads and Tom and I watched a lot of YouTube videos mm-hmm. on how to form the breads and how to cut them. Mm-hmm. And read I read a lot of books. I do all of the recipe development. Mm-hmm. So I was the, the technology geek when it came to bread recipes. And then just taught him whatever I figured out. And we still kind of operate that way. That seems like a a great way to uh, break it down and divide and conquer. Um, You both have a background in dairy science. Yes. (laughs) Does that come into play at all? The science aspect of it, the food science definitely does. Understanding how different ingredients react, just having that way of looking at things helps. Um, Understanding of dairy Not as much, but understanding of agriculture is Mm -hmm. huge for us because what we do is we buy our grain, we stone mill it ourselves, and people want to know about where their food comes from when they come to our counter. So being able to, in a way, represent the agricultural industry makes a big difference. Absolutely. So when you you make a move eventually – well, when you were doing it out of the home, you started doing some farmer's markets by baking at the home, correct? That's correct. And how many loaves would you go through at a market at that point? <laughs> You're asking for memories from way back. I don't know, uh, probably a few dozen. Okay. Not very many. But you would sell them and get great feedback. So yes. Y- each step of the way, there was some kind of forward momentum. Like There was a demand for this product, and somehow you felt... We could, we could stretch this a little bit further each time? Yes. Yes. And we went through, you know, we went through the different farmer's markets. We learned, as, as you have, every different market has its own rhythm. Mm-hmm. And we learned that we didn't have to bake as much for this market as for that market. And we also started taking suggestions from our customers as we got to know them. So we developed, I developed different recipes just based on what people were looking for. You know, I started out with a basic whole wheat loaf and developed a seed loaf with a lot of different stuff going on in it. I developed a dill and veggie loaf that I wanted for tomato season so we could have a really good bread for tomato sandwiches. Right. And we just, we just went like that. So when you started with your whole wheat, uh, I I think I read it, it's a honey whole wheat. Yes. Was it 100% whole wheat? Was there any um, 
white bread flour? There, or you... there is. We do use some commercial bread flour. We use uh, King Arthur yeah. bread flour, the Sir Lancelot, and we still do that. You know, our, our breads are primarily our own stone-milled flour, so our percentages of whole wheat are much higher than what you'd find in a lot of commercial breads. Well, I do a honey whole wheat with King Arthur, um, uh, sir, um, special patent, not the Lancelot, and uh, it's fifty percent that and fifty percent whole wheat. Okay. And then I use the honey. Okay. So you, you're using a higher percentage of whole wheat. Yes, we are. Yes, yeah. we are. In a, in that particular loaf, we're closer to seventy or seventy five percent. Wow. Which we can do because. The flour that we use is a totally different product than what you buy off the shelf that's shelf-stable. So typically, whole wheat that you buy from the store is going to be roller-milled in the regular process, and then they'll add back some of the bran and maybe some of the other components. What we have has all of the naturally occurring oils still in the flour, which means it's not shelf-stable, but it gives it some very different characteristics. Now, I assume you and the seller of the flour, when they're talking about shelf stability in this case, is talking about the flour sitting on the shelf. Right. Now, how does? what about the bread you make? Is that any less shelf life no it's more it's actually more it's, it's a greater shelf life much much greater one of our artisan loaves can sit now it can sit in a bread bag on the counter for a week to a week and a half Whoa. without developing any you know any unsightly additions <laughs> <laughs> so wow. and and part of that is because of the uh I'm sorry, because of the the oils and the the freshly milled flour. So when your customers buy that bread, you um, put it in a a brown bag? Unless they want it sliced. We do have a slicer, and a lot of people opt for that. In that case, that goes in a plastic bag. Okay, and and then when they ask, how do I take care of this bread? What should I do? What's What's the answer to give it the best shelf life at home? With your bread. Keep it on the counter. Don't ever put it in the refrigerator. And if you're... Tell us why. Ah, because the refrigerator is designed to pull moisture out of things. It's it's designed to keep things dry so they don't get nasty in there. And when you put any kind of a baked good in the refrigerator, it's going to stale much more quickly. I'm always amazed that even chefs that I work with don't know that um, because when they, they have my bread and or I, I bring it or they have some left over, they're like, Jim, I'm going to just put this in the refrigerator for a couple of oh, days. No. And I'm like, no, <laughs> and this is a trained professional. I just can't believe it. I mean, I, it was new to me when I got into the bread business. Um, I had not known that. But um, I think people's instincts are because with cheese and meats, Yes, it does prolong the life. Right. But with bread, it does the opposite. Yeah. 
Yeah. And with any of our baked goods, I tell people that that's that's not the place to keep it. What we've found, though, with our breads is I had mentioned earlier the, the naturally occurring oils in the grains are still in the flour. And what that does is it creates a loaf that goes into the freezer really well. Mm. Our products freeze beautifully and they come out like they're fresh baked and i've i've heard that we've worked with a number of executive chefs in the hershey area hershey and harrisburg and to a person they have all reinforced that amazement at how well our breads and and other products freeze and is that more specifically in relation to sourdough as a rising agent or are you also talking about some of your, your regular active or instant yeast breads? That goes for everything we produce. It, wow, it so it has to be related to the flour yes. and your own milling. Yes, absolutely. And when we first started, I, wasn't, I didn't have a mill of my own. So I would go a few towns over and have a, a store that had a mill take care of that for me. And I would come ha- home with... 50 pounds of freshly milled flour and stick it in the freezer. What we discovered is when I started milling it right before mixing it, it had a totally different effect. The, the breads improved, the lift, you know, the oven spring improved, the flavor certainly improved, the texture improved. It made such a difference. So that was a lesson. So I've never milled my own flour. If I wanted to start, is, it, is there a cheap way to begin? Do, do I need special equipment that's heavy? Is there something small? There, there are a number of small mills that you can purchase. And what we started with were a couple of just countertop um, mills. I can't remember the technology. They are, yeah, I can't. I can't remember right. what it's called, but it's not a stone mill. When we okay. when we moved to the stone mills, when we started buying commercial equipment and we were going through hundreds of pounds of flour in a week, and I just couldn't keep up. But the little countertop mills are a great start, and you can get those for two to three hundred dollars. Really? Yes. Okay. And then where do you get the raw materials to mill? We have a provider here in the area that actually services um, this half of the country. And we just get 50 pound bags of, of grain from them. Wow. Yeah, it's, and it's really good. It's a, it's a wheat that comes out of Montana. It's a particular variety that's relatively rare when you're looking at the national wheat crop. And it has a very distinctive flavor. The other grains that we mill do not have an aroma or a flavor, but what we use for our breads definitely does. That's great. So after the home and after the success at the farmer's markets, what was your next step? Getting some wholesale accounts. So I I started taking breads in a basket and cold calling chefs in the area. And that was... That, that took a little bit of chutzpah for me to, you know, walk into a restaurant with a, 
a basket on my arm of breads and a cutting board and a knife and say, I'd like to speak to your chef. It was a lot of fun in most cases. Nobody, nobody really looked at me and said, you know, what are you doing here? Go away. Yeah. And it was, it was really, I did that too. Yeah. It's nice. I did, I did it at the beginning. Now I, I went to delis, um, maybe, you know, 40 seat type of restaurants. What kind of restaurants were you going to? These were the upscale places because I knew that that delis wouldn't be able to afford our product. Mm-hmm. So more of the, I, I, I couldn't go to bars and pubs and those kinds of places. I had to hit more of the, the upper level. Like in this area, we've got the Hotel Hershey, sure. which, which is Michelin rated. Mm-hmm. And... We baked for them for almost 10 years. Wow. Um, and I never could have done that without having the commercial equipment. But that was, you know, that was a, uh, that was a real achievement for us. Now, is that bread seven days a week to Hotel Hershey or several days a week? We delivered to them two or three times a week. And we and weren't you... providing all of their breads. Okay. But did you have a staff at that point, or is it still just you and your husband? We have we have other part time employees. Okay. Yeah, it's we didn't to that point. Right, right. We didn't do that all all on our own, and and now we've got I don't know about seven employees. Everybody's part time, and we have we have some young people who work for us on the weekends to help with the market on Saturdays, and we have. One, the one person who is indispensable in the bakery is our dishwasher. She is amazing, and we literally could not get through a day without her. It's so much. There's so much cleaning that you have to keep up with constantly. Yes. And you don't want it to sit, right? That's right. That's you right. need to attack it right away. Yeah, because dough, when it's been sitting for a while, <laughs> gets pretty ugly. Yeah. But yeah, so we have, we, we have, like I mentioned earlier, we have the bakery divided between the bread side and the pastry side. And so right now we, we really don't have that many wholesale accounts since COVID and the whole economic situation. Um, so we're mostly just baking for retail. So Tom can handle the bread side. And I have help on the pastry side because we have such a large variety of pastries at this point that I can't do it all on my own. Now, if you learned this and Tom learned this on your own by watching videos, I, I understand because, again, I'm kind of living through a, an alternate version of what you guys are doing. You know, I can recreate a recipe. I can tweak a recipe. But... The logistics of scaling is not often taught on videos. That's right? true. The, the, the recipe is, this is a great loaf, this is a great flavor, and then you have to figure out how to scale it. And if you are really scaling it, I'm curious to see how you came up with your systems because I'm still on systems that I created in my head, which are, I, I, but the largest mixer I have is a 20-quart mixer. Okay. Um, but I do bake, uh, I could bake three to 400 loaves a day. 
Now, in I a 20 quart mixer. Wow. Yes. Good for yes. you. You know, so so basically what I do, and I don't do this all the time, you know, but I always bake on Fridays I'm baking over 100 loaves. Always. But what I what I do is I do my dries uh knowing what I could fit in that mixer and also knowing what I could fit in my containers after it's mixed so that it doesn't rise and go over. Right. Um Certain of the breads, I do a, a cold fermentation. Uh, I also bake plenty of sourdoughs where I just do one long bulk ferment. But I'm using buckets and Cambro containers and certain refrigeration. And I just f- figured this out. I don't know if it's practical. I don't know if I ever got a real commercial bakery. This is how I should do it. And I don't even know where to learn the right way to do it is. But I am curious to talk to someone like you. How do you do it? How did you learn it? We, we did. We started just like what you're doing. We just felt our way along. What we do now, we, have, we do have a 20-quart, and we use that for small batches. And we have a 60-quart. And we prep all of our dry ingredients um, on Saturday or on Tuesday. And... We do some of the mixing on Wednesday mm. and load the dough. Like we, we mix and measure out the dough after a bulk ferment and lay it out on full sheet trays and put it in the cooler. Aha. Uh-huh. And then we have other loaves that we mix on Thursday and we'll do the same thing. Many of our bagged loaves, well, all of our bagged loaves, the, you know, the honey whole wheat, country white, Italian, not Italian, um, oatmeal, 12 grain, cinnamon raisin, all of those loaves get baked Thursday afternoon for Friday and Saturday sale. The artisan loaves are all prepped. Many of them are mixed ahead and proof overnight in the cooler. Mm-hmm. Also on full sheet trays, just cut in, you know, 18 ounce pieces mm. and covered, you know, we wrap the trays in plastic mm. and then we have a, uh, we have a speed rack that we just roll into the cooler. Got it. But then we have, yeah, but then we have like, if there's extra dough left over, we'll put that in a five gallon bucket. And so we have stacks of five gallon buckets in the cooler as well. And this is mostly for the artisan breads. Yeah. Because what you do is you take that dough and you add it back to your batch. And it helps maintain the flavor profile of your breads. When you say the batch, are you talking about a week later? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like a biga uh, or something that's been sitting around. Yeah. And I, I even do that with our croissants. I'll I'll keep all the trimmings from the croissant dough and throw that in when I mix the new batch. Right. That's cool. And we make uh, the whole the croissants are a whole grain croissant. And that's another multi day process using the cooler to retard and allow the, the bread or the dough to proof. Right. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how large is the the footprint of the bakery? Because it sounds like there's a lot going on. There's there. a lot going on. It's about <laughs> 600 square feet. Oh, wow. 
And we don't produce, but we don't produce 300 loaves in a day. We don't sell that many loaves in a weekend, but we have so many other things that we're producing. It's not just about the loaves anymore. So it's, it's developed into a very different business model than the one that we started out with. Right. And, uh, it may, it may continue to develop, right? COVID, uh, kind of made everybody rejigger everything and, and kind of changed the flow of business. Yes, it did. We had to pivot with COVID. We've got, well, you saw our website and yeah. we had to, on the fly, I developed a another page on the website so that people could order online. And we started a whole ordering process and I was updating the menu every week and taking orders, which was really nice. It got our customers trained to order ahead, yeah. which gives That's us how an I started. advantage. Yes. I, I, my wife wants to go back to it. So with COVID, I think everyone was in the mindset for a lot of reasons. Um, they thought it was a novelty. They thought it was fun. They didn't want to go out. And we started off strong, and we kept strong for a few, six months maybe. And over time, we... we we're not getting as many orders anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a lot of different reasons, there were other options and people were going out and farmers markets were back. And then I was getting frustrated baking so specifically to order. I wanted the freedom to be able to make a mistake yes. and just go to the market with what I have baked. Right. Cause, cause even if it's t- one mistake, or two mistakes, that's at least four more hours, <laughs> <laughs> depending on when you catch it. Yes, indeed. We've, and, we've had um, adventures like that recently. Oh, it drives me crazy because it's just also labor-intensive and time-intensive, and you want the customers to be happy. And I would always make one mistake or more. <laughs> well, you know, in this area, we have a lot of Amish, and when you get Amish... Uh, would work. They always try to put a little mistake somewhere. They'll put a, a little, or or chairs that they've woven the seats for, they'll always have a little something because that's what makes it special. So you can look at it as you're always making something special. Yeah, it's true. But I, I was more about the customer complaining. I didn't get so-and-so, oh. and then I have no more of those. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I've learned is when we're at the market and it's Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon and someone comes in and says, well, you don't have any of this left, and I saw it on the menu for the week. You know, the, the same, it's the same song and dance every week. It's, I'd love to take an order. Would you, right. would you like to order ahead? It really helps us with production planning, and that way I can assure you that you'll get your product next week. Exactly. Which is why I'm considering some kind of subscription. I've never tried it. I know some people have success with it. Um, and then it helps us plan. Yes. There are a lot of bakers. We belong to the Artisan Bakers Guild, and... There are a lot of bakeries out there doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's very, very helpful. There's, in fact, there's software out there that, that can help you plan how to do that. 
And we have talked about doing something like that. And we talked about it during COVID and we've never quite gotten it off the ground. And some of the bakeries out there are even doing, you know, personal delivery. And that's what we did. Well, and we've never been able to, to organize that partially because we started out with four small children and now because the scale of the bakery is just kind of in between. Yeah. We were able to get through it with uh, various drivers. I would say we would have two drivers out um, on any given. We would just do it on Saturdays. Okay. Usually. And I'm telling you, at the beginning, we were getting 60 houses, and they would order, you know, between one and three loaves. But then it started to peter down. But it is it is more logistics to figure out. You got to figure out the, the routes for the drivers. Um that's a big thing, by the way. Oh, well, and it's costing a lot more now than it did before. Well, that's the other thing, you know. Uh, a lot of drivers don't want to put the wear and tear on the car, and then you have right. to pay extra money for gas. Um, there's a lot that comes with all of it. There's no, there's no easy way. There's no easy way. Well, and <laughs> we are very fortunate that we have built so many good relationships that we have not had to pay drivers because we have older retired people who love us and just volunteer to it's a great idea take things for us yeah and that's fun we you know we pay them back with baked goods and we've we've just developed the most wonderful friendships over the years that's great. That's it's it's been a privilege to to get to know some of these folks. Now, when you made the jump to the full time bakery and rented space, I know you said you were raising the kids, homeschooling them. What about your husband? He was working in agriculture at the time, mm-hmm. and he had been downsized out of jobs three times in 10 years. It seemed like mm-hmm. every time another child was born, wow. he was looking for another job. And the last time around when the twins were born, we just looked at each other and said, you know, it's, it's time to get out there. It's, we're, we're getting kicked out of the nest here of that, that illusion of job security just isn't working for us. Okay. So part of the decision was to take matters into your own hand yep. and work for yourselves. So it was partly a financial decision. We are opening a business to sustain ourselves. Yes. It's something we think we're good at and our customers are asking for. Yes. That's exactly what it was. And Tom had always had a vision of us doing something together, whether it was farming or doing something else. And so this was a real dream of his. And... Yeah, it's it's been an interesting ride. We've been doing this for about 20 years almost. Mm. And yeah, I, I hear a lot of people talking about retirement and I can't imagine it, but <laughs> but we're That's what I say. Yeah, we're we're doing the the 24/7 togetherness thing for a number of years now, so I can understand that some people would be a little nervous about it, but for us it's been wonderful. Now, if he's primarily focused on the bread production, uh, with your setup, is he getting there at 2 in the morning? Is he doing overnights? Or do you have it set up in a way where you could bake during the day? Well, remember that we're only open Fridays and Saturdays for retail. Yeah. So, right. no, we're, we're 9 to 5 
on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Friday mornings, he gets in there around 4. Okay. And does the artisan bread production. And then throughout the day, he might be producing more just to keep up with with things going on the shelves. But like the the bagged whole wheat breads that I mentioned before, we don't make any more of those during the weekend. What we produce on Thursdays is what is there for the weekend. And because the breads have the kind of shelf life that they do, I I don't even address questions about day-old bread. You know, our our stuff is fresh for days. So we don't we don't really worry about that, but yeah, so Fridays and Saturdays the day, well Friday the day is earlier, but we're we're not that kind of bakery fortunately because that would just be like going right. back to milking cows. <laughs> and if you went back into wholesale, that would change, right? Some of it would change. Yes. Right now, we are not pushing our usage of our facility that much. We've got we've got enough bandwidth in terms of of baking space that we could go and produce quite a bit more without having to really expand our hours. It would be helpful at that point to have another person on the bread side, but we we could still maintain without having to come in it too. Right. Um, as we come to the close of this, I'm curious to know if it's a profession that you would recommend to a young person finished with college years, um, looking to start a career and be their own boss. Well, we certainly love it. So, okay. yes. I, I think it really helps to love people. Mm-hmm. That's that's always been a priority for me. And I love the fact that I can play and experiment with different ingredients and develop new things all the time. It's not like a rote, you know, pump this this paperwork out the same way every week. There are some things that are repeated every week, but there's so much room for creativity. And I really love that part. And everyone I talk to in food really appreciates being able to do that. Me too. That's one of the things I love about it. Yeah, it's fun. I I really like to add and try some new things. And I'm actually looking forward to my outdoor farmer's market season, including this coming weekend. So I have time to experiment even more. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And one of these times you'll have to come out to the Hershey area. We're not that far away. You know what? Every once in a while, we do find ourselves out that way, and I'll certainly be in touch. That sounds great. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and some anecdotes, and I think I learned a few things. Well, I think I did, too. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great, great time with your bread. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone. Bread for the people.